Amen. Amen. What a beautiful song. Thank you, Lauren and Jeremy. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. A few years ago, I wrote a book entitled, When the Crosses Are Gone. Through the years, I've published with at least 11, if not more, publishing companies who, many of them, are constantly beating my door for books to publish. No one would touch this one. They wanted anything to do with it, so we self-published it. When the crosses are gone, the truth is, all you need to do is to be alive to realize that the cross is under a severe attack. The cross is systematically and methodically being removed from the public eye. The cross has even been removed from many a church. Many new churches would not even place a cross on their buildings. They say it's a turnoff. Not only that, but the cross has been removed from many a sermons. All you need to do is listen to some of the masters of uh, the pastors of uh, mega churches uh, on television, and you'll never hear the cross preached. I fear personally that in the next generation they will only know the cross as that ornament that is hanging on the chest of a vulgar rock star who's wearing it for mockery. A magazine some few years ago published a study. They actually went and did a major survey, and they did it across many countries, Australia, Germany, India, Japan, the UK, and the United States. The purpose of the survey is to identify the power of symbols. Now, I want you to listen carefully to the results of these surveys. The five rings that link together, the, the Olympic rings, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? The Olympic rings? 92% of those who are asked identify them immediately. 88% of those who were surveyed identified the McDonald's Golden Arches and the Shell of the Shell Oil Company. Less than 54% identified the cross as a symbol of Christianity. Many church leaders today say the cross was not necessary. The cross was a, a cosmic child abuse. In fact, I'm quoting from some of these theologians directly. The cross should not be emphasized at all. Some even go further as to say, for example, the Reverend Dolores Williams has been quoted to have said, and I quote, I don't think that we need a theory of atonement at all. I don't think we need folks hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff. End of quote. Now, my beloved friends, you don't have to be a genius to realize that if this trend continues, I pray to God it, it wouldn't, but if this trend continues, we will end up with Christianity without a cross, uh, a Christless Christianity, which is an oxymoron. On this Good Friday, we will not only examine the cross, we're not going to focus on the cross, because the cross is everything. Can you say that with me? The cross is everything. 
We're going to look at the cross, but we're going to remember again and again the power of the cross. The power of the cross. That all rugged cross is our only hope for redemption. That all rugged cross is our only means for salvation. That all rugged cross is the only power for living. The all rugged cross is the only hope for civilization. That all rugged cross is our only source for true peace. The all rugged cross is our only strength to overcome. That all rugged cross is our only secret for victory. That all rugged cross is our only bridge to heaven. That all rugged cross is everything to the true believers. Amen belongs here. Now, there are several things that you must know about the cross of Christ. If this is the very last sermon I have to preach before I go to heaven, it would be to emphasize the importance and the power of the cross of Christ. The cross is far, 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 far more than just a symbol. The cross was not just an oversight or afterthought in God's mind. It was not just uh, something that uh, to prove, uh, show God's love, as some of uh, liberal theologians say, but he, he showed his love in the cross. Yes, but it's more than that. It's a whole lot more than that. The cross was not uh, just a Roman phenomena or a, a Persian invention. The cross of Christ is everything. The cross of Christ is everything. Say it with me. Now, I hope you, uh, you came on Good Friday to learn and to hear some good news and some wonderful news, some truth about the cross. I pray to God you won't forget it. Here's a fact, and it's a fact of history that I can prove it historically, but certainly all you need to do is to be breathing to see it happening in our day. Okay? It's a statement. I pray to God, if you have, you get an iPad, iPhone, get it out, type it out so you don't forget it. I will actually post it in case you miss it. Here's a statement of fact. This is the truth. Whenever sin is minimized, the cross is trivialized. Did you get that? Say amen. Whenever sin is trivialized, the cross is—whenever sin is minimized, the cross is trivialized. And more and more preachers today are refusing to preach on sin. They don't want to talk about sin anymore. Um, and, 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 and the more they, they don't want to preach on sin, the more the cross becomes murky. And so many preachers today do not want to call sin, sin. They want to call it a mistake, and we all make mistakes. Hello. Uh, it's an error in judgment. Well, we all have make errors in judgment. It's an oversight, and we all kind of do have some oversights. And Beloved, if this is the case, we don't really need redemption, do we? Jesus could have stayed in heaven. He didn't have to leave the splendor of heaven and come to earth, be born of a virgin, live at the poorest as the poorest of the poor, then die on a cross. Remember again, when sin is minimized, the cross is? God bless you. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. Why did the Holy Spirit guide 
the early church to choose the cross of all the other symbols they could have chosen? Why did he guide them to choose the cross as a symbol of Christianity, as the power of the cross to be their symbol, to be their something to look at and, and focus on? It is not by accident that it was chosen as a symbol. John Stott, my late John Stott, my old friend and mentor, used to say that they could have chosen the crib or the manger in which Jesus was born, but they didn't. Uh, They could have chosen the carpenter's bench on which Jesus worked in Nazareth, but they didn't. They could have chosen the boat from which Jesus sat and He taught uh, the disciples, but they didn't. They, They could have chosen the apron that Jesus wore on the day that He washed the disciples' feet. Uh, They could have chosen uh, the stone that was rolled away, and the tomb is empty, praise God. They could have chosen the throne in which Jesus right now is sitting, reigning and ruling on the rim of the universe, but they didn't. They could have chosen the dove, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, who came and testified, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm pleased, but they didn't. Excuse me. Any of these symbols could have been suitable to emphasize one or other aspect of the ministry of Jesus, but no, guided by the Holy Spirit, they came to realize that all of these symbols all come together in the cross of Christ. Here's a fact of history. Do you know that the crucifix you know what I mean? The, the crucifix is where the figure of Jesus hanging on a cross, which we do not have, uh, when we do not use. Did you know that it was never known in the early church? In fact, it wasn't until the 6th century that the crucifix came in, crept into the church and began to appear. Why? Because the early church, like we do, believed that the cross is empty just like the tomb is empty. They believed that the price is paid, the redemption has been complete, the perfect sacrifice has been offered, the Father's justice has been satisfied. There's no need for Christ to be hanging on that cross. Back to the fact that the cross is not an afterthought. A cross didn't just happen in a vacuum. Uh, God thought it was a good idea to show my love for people. Jesus didn't say, well, I'll go along and just kind of show them. No, no, no. It was God's plan all along. It was God's plan. The cross was God's only answer to humanity's sin. And that is why all of the anti-God forces that are coming out of the woodworks, especially now in the media and everywhere, those anti-God forces, they want to remove the cross from public eye. And you see incident after incident after incident of removal of the cross. Why? Because it reminds them that they are sinners and they desperately need salvation, and only Jesus could give them that salvation. In order to understand the centrality of the cross, we need to fast, go for a fast journey through history. Young, young, young folks don't think it's going to be a boring history lesson. I, want, I don't do this. I don't do boring history. I do live history, exciting history. See, from the very beginning of creation, God instituted animal sacrifice 
as a foreshadowing of the cross of Christ. That's the whole purpose for it. From the very beginning, God foresaw what would happen to His creation. God foresaw that Adam and Eve would go against His will, against His command, and against his, what He asked them to do, and they're going to go into disobedience. And so, when His, when his foreknowledge became reality, and Adam and Eve did disobey God and sinned, what would God do? He cannot wink at sin. God cannot wink at sin. Oh, we do, oh, yes, but not God. So he slayed an innocent animal right before their eyes, and he makes them to wear the skin covering. He was covering the nakedness of sin, not just the physical nakedness. What was God doing? <laughs> what was he doing? And shocking Adam and Eve for the first time, they just saw an animal, innocent animal be slain. He said he was teaching our first parents. He was teaching our first parents the importance of substitutionary sacrifice so that they might teach the subsequent generation, their children and their grandchildren, the importance of the prefiguring of the cross and so that they may teach the subsequent generation uh, to look forward with great deal of expectations to the greatest sacrifice of all on that cross. Uh, but God also wanted to let them know something. Listen to me very carefully. He wanted them to know something very important, something very now is minimized completely in our culture. He wanted them to know that sin is costly. He wanted to know that sin cannot be taken lightly. He wanted to know that sin is a colossal offense against the holy and righteous God. And that is why in the Old Testament, God constituted animal sacrifice. An innocent lamb for guilty person. Innocent bloodshed for man's sin. And that is why all animal sacrifices must, have been, must be understood in the light of the cross of Christ. Without that, it's paganism. The book of Hebrews explains all of the symbolism of animal sacrifice this way, namely, the blood of animals could never, can you say never? Never permanently remove sin. Now, some of you smart ones, I think you're all smart. You've got to be asking the question, if these sacrifices did not remove sin permanently, if this animal sacrifices they kept making over and over every year, over and over and over every time they sinned, they went back. Why? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. Three things that I want to share with you, three reasons, and they are really, I'm not going to go through them in details, but I'm just going to show you what, why. If you ever asked, why would God institute animal sacrifice when He knew He's not permanently going to remove sin, why did He do that? First of all, so that every time people offered a sacrifice, they remember that it's only temporary. It's only temporary. Secondly, every time they offered an animal sacrifice, they remembered that they worship a holy God 
a righteous God who cannot wink at sin, and He cannot just overlook sin. And thirdly, the third reason, every time they offered that animal sacrifice, it was a prefiguring of the cross of Christ. Now, here's a biblical fact that you must never, never, never forget. Don't forget this. For God's justice to prevail, guilt must be punished. For God's justice to prevail, sin must be dealt with. For God's justice to prevail, rebellion against God's command must find a cure. And that's why on the cross, God Himself, the most innocent of all, paid the price and the guilt of my sin and yours. And everyone who would come to Him confessing, I can't save myself, only that blood they shed on the cross can save me. And God looks down. He said, you're justified. I read this week, actually, to be exact, 10 days ago, there was a major study that's being done and, and been published, and I got invited with two other pastors and Fox News last week, or whatever it was, Tom Flies, but it was last week, I think, and And so I had to read this article, and I had to read it carefully so I know I can at least sound intelligent. And uh, they asked the pastor of the largest church in America, why you never preach on sin or repentance? Here's his answer. People have enough guilt as it is. They need to feel good about themselves. Now, my beloved brother, if you, I'm telling you, that makes me weep <laughs> because that's more common than you realize. That feeling good about yourself can only last as long as the church service lasts. As soon as you go out, that guilt is there and will always be there until it is brought under the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's the greatest news of all. God is the one who did the paying for the sin. God is the one who did the paying for the guilt. God is the one who paid the price. God is the one who sacrificed his all. God is the one who in paying for your sin and my sin and our rebellion, he sets us free from sin. You don't want to say amen? On Good Friday, by the way, we don't come here and sad and miserable. He's, <laughs> that's what they do in some traditional churches. They actually put black in the, uh, uh, on, the, on the curtains and all that stuff. We know the tomb is empty. So we come to rejoice in the power of the cross. See, God is the one who is paying for your sin and mine to set us free from the clutches of sin. And so, in the Old Testament… Every time the people of God sacrificed animal, sacrificed animal, they remembered it's only temporary. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. Genesis 3.21, when Adam and Eve deliberately and willfully went against what God said not to do, and they did it, God said death must follow. That's justice. That's justice. But what does mercy do? See, justice says in Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel said, the sin, that the soul that sinned, it must die. That's justice. 
But mercy slew an animal, an innocent lamb, and provided temporary covering for their sin. Please, please, please don't miss the point I'm going to make. Don't miss it. God could have snapped His fingers and provided Eve with one of the most beautiful gowns. I mean nothing that Chanel could ever produce. Men saying amen. But he didn't. God could have clicked his fingers and provided Adam with a tux that Armani could never match. But he didn't. Why? Because when he slew that animal, he used the skin to cover in order to teach them an object lesson. God is teaching how God views sin is vitally important, is vitally important. It's not how the Reverend Smill Fungus views sin, but how God views sin. Now, beloved, listen to me. The lamb that died for Adam and Eve was a symbol and the prefiguring of the lamb of God who hung on the cross. The lamb of God who is the only one who could take away the sin of anyone who would believe in Him and put his whole or her whole trust completely in Him. Question. You don't have to answer it, but answer it to yourself. Did Adam really understand what God is doing here? Yeah, absolutely he did. I'm going to show you. Uh, did Adam and Eve comprehend the enormity of their sin and disobedience? You better believe it. Every time on the other side of that garden and looked in there, and they couldn't get in there, and the angels were protecting the garden, they could never get back again. Oh, the enormity of our sin. The enormity of our sin. The enormity of our sin. In fact, what they did is they taught this principle of shedding blood innocent blood for the sake of temporary covering of sin to their children and the subsequent generations. The first two sons, Adam, uh, 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 Abel and Cain, we call them Cain and Abel, they were brought up by mommy and daddy to understand the importance, the vital importance of shedding of innocent blood for the forgiveness of sins. And yet, they didn't both follow mommy and daddy. I've been pastoring long enough to know that all children turn out to be obedient. We know that. In the same way here, they did not both respond with obedience to what mom and dad taught them. One did, Abel, and the other one didn't, Cain. And from that time on, beloved friend, these two men, Cain and Abel, have represented all of humanity. Every neighbor that you have, all the neighbors you have, you're going to find somebody who is an Abelites and one is a Canaanites. Okay, Knights. Every co-worker you work, every, every group of people, there's always some belong to Cain, some belong to Abel in all of humanity. Either they followed the example of Abel in obedience, or they followed the example of Cain in disobedience. 
reject God's plan of salvation or accept God's plan of salvation. They receive it gratefully like Abel did or reject it arrogantly as Cain did. Cain and Abel are the microcosm of all of humanity. All of humanity. You say, why? Because, you see, Abel came to God God's way. Oh, this is the way God said it? I'll do it. Cain said, no, 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 I know better. I'm not going to come to him the way he decides. He doesn't decide which way I come to him. I'm going to decide which way I come to him. And humanity has been divided on these two lines, on these two individuals ever since. Those who love the cross of Christ and those who hate the cross of Christ, those who come to God through the cross of Christ and those who reject God because they reject the cross. Sadly, those who are following the way of Cain are on the increase, on the increase. And this is a personal opinion. Always make sure that you understand this is a personal opinion. Could the end be near? As the remnant gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and as the love of many grows cold, can the end be near? Sixty percent of those who call themselves Christians in America believe there's more than one way to God. Every statistics, I mean, Bon has been doing this, all the others have been doing it. It comes up between 55 to 60 percent. It's taught in pulpits, many a pulpits. I, I got a letter not long ago from some, one of our members. They said, you know, you've been saying this for years, and I didn't really understand it. I went to church with my parents, and the guy preached that stuff. I didn't know anybody can do, really do it. I'm not making the stuff up, so you've got to understand. There are more ways to God. God is so big. These are the descendants of Cain. They follow Cain's way. Some of these Cainites in church pulpits. They see salvation as only possible through the cross to be narrow-mindedness. Because I, I, I would have been a millionaire if I took a dollar for every time somebody called me narrow-minded, <laughs> particularly in the, in, in the social media. Oh, my goodness. The old-fashioned, exclusive message. They believe that God has many ways, and they say God is too big to have only one way. God is an inclusive God. I personally think they are confusing Yahweh with Baal. <laughs> They're actually worshiping Baal. In Genesis 4, 4 and 5, the Lord looked with favor upon Abel and his sacrifice. Uh, that's worshiping God God's way. But I, w- I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. But on Cain and his offerings, you notice he didn't say sacrifice. He looked with favor upon Abel and his sacrifice. But on Cain and his offering, it wasn't a sacrifice, it was an offering. He did not look down with favor. He, no wonder, no wonder. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. Question, why is it better? Why is it better? 
Because it was God's way, not man's way. That's really why. It's a very, the answer is very simple. The Old Testament sacrifice was temporary covering for sin. The Old Testament sacrifice proves that God is a holy, unrighteous God, and He will not look upon sin favorably. The Old Testament sacrifice was the prefiguring of the cross of Christ. Hear me right. Hear me right. It's not going to be a long message. (laughs) Every blood sacrifice that is offered, even today, and I've traveled in India and many parts where the animists are continuously offering sacrifice, but all the sacrifices that are practiced all over the world has its origin in the Garden of Eden. History has moved, and they did not know it. (laughs) There was only a prefiguring of the cross. Tragically, tragically, these pagan societies keep offering sacrifice. It's empty of its original meaning, the prefiguring of Christ. Instead of understanding that sacrifice is the prefiguring of the cross, these pagan sacrifices lead them to idolatry. Let me explain this, because it's very important to know historically, how that continued in history. It just happened in… Look, I don't know. I'm not going to argue with you about creation, but I just believe it. I believe the Scripture. I'm not, you know, believe what you want to believe, but here's what I'm going to, I want to tell you. When Adam died, he was 930 years old. I pray to God, I will never get any closer to that. I mean, I said, Lord, I know you grant us a desire of our hearts, and some of my friends have prayed I want to be 100, and God bless them. I don't. That's okay, just to understand. (laughs) And Adam kept on teaching this principle of blood shedding a sacrifice, of animal sacrifice, as prefiguring of the cross of Christ all the way to Lamech. Now, Lamech was Noah's father. Noah lived to be 950 years, 20 years older than Adam. He taught the prefiguring of Christ's cross all the way to Abraham. You know that when Noah died, Abraham was 58 years old. Abraham's obedience of faith gave him a privilege, a unique privilege, to be able to actually peer into the future and look ahead 2,000 years to the future, and he sees Christ and the cross of Christ. And Jesus said, Abraham, who saw his day, meaning Jesus' day, by faith, he rejoiced. He saw it's coming, and he rejoiced 2,000 years before the cross. See, when Isaac, Abraham's son of promise, was being offered. Isaac comes in there and says, Father, we got everything here, but where's the sacrifice? In Genesis 22.8, Abraham made a statement prefiguring the cross. Here's the literal translation of what Abraham said to his son. God will provide Himself. See, God will provide Himself 
Now, he himself will provide. God will provide himself as a sacrifice. As a prophecy of the cross of Christ. And right on schedule, nearly 2,000 years after Abraham, not far from Mount Moriah, God provided himself the sacrifice of the cross of Calvary. Can you say amen? amen? And it was in the economy of God that all of those who have the faith of Abraham, that's you and you and you and me, become the spiritual descendants of Abraham. See, Isaac had never forgotten what God did for him to save his life. He's never forgotten that. And so he taught it to his descendants. He taught it, he taught the prefiguring of Christ to his son Jacob. Jacob, or Israel, his name changed later on, learned this lesson, and he erected a temp, uh, 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 an altar in Shechem, and he called it El Elohi Israel. God is the God of Jacob, or the God of Israel. Even after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God had to reteach afresh to His people the importance of this temporary covering of sin as a prefiguring of the permanent covering of sin on the cross of Christ. And so God established a Passover feast. You remember, that's why it's called Passover. God said you get the lamb and you sacrifice it and you take the blood and you put it on the two posts on the post on the two sides of the door. I often ask the question. I don't need you to answer me loud, but just think about it. If an Egyptian heard this instruction and slaughtered the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts, would that Egyptian be saved? God bless you. Courageous. Yes. If a Jew who heard Moses giving him this destruction, and he said, no, no, no that's, that's, childish, that's childish stuff. I, I don't buy into this. I, I, I can't accept a, a blood guest go on the post and offer an animal sacrifices. The, the angel of death will come and bypass our house. I'm not going to do it. Would that Jew be saved? No. It's the obedience that saved him. It's the obedience. That lamb who cannot permanently remove sin, only temporary, removes sin. But not until the Lamb of God who hung on that cross on that good Friday, good Friday great Friday, he is the only one who permanently can remove sin today and for eternity. He's the only one who permanently can redeem us from sin. He's the only one who permanently delivers us from the wages of sin and the penalty of sin. He's the only one who can deliver us from the tyranny of sin. The Passover stopped with Jesus. It was the last Passover and the first communion. I mentioned to the men yesterday at the dinner, I said the reason we call it Maundy Thursday, the Latin word, mean mandate, when he said, do this in remembrance of me. Through the Latin culture, it became known as Maundy Thursday. Passover stopped. The Lord's table began. This is the last Passover. Jesus said to them, I have eagerly wanted to eat this Passover with you. 
For I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Praise God. After all, when we see somebody's shadow and we know that person is coming, that shadow is important. But as soon as the person appears, the shadow is not important, right? Or like when I used to travel overseas in my previous ministry and our kids were little and I carried their pictures and I put them there. As soon as I get to my hotel room, I used to have their pictures. The pictures are very important to me while I'm away. But when I'm home, pictures are not important. A picture of somebody is important when they're not around, but as soon as they show up, the picture fades. And the same thing with the sacrifice and the Passover. It was a picture, and that picture disappeared when Jesus Christ appeared. Can I get an amen? amen? Let me tell you this. I want to speak just for a moment. I don't just... I, I, I try not to have application for different age groups, but I, I really want to take just a moment to speak to folks my age, the grandparents. Are you listening to me? Grandparents, I know you come from the generation that's shy. You're not going to say amen. But I want you to say amen. amen. All right. As I read and as I talk to people, I know how anxious grandparents, and some parents too, they want to leave their family something. They want to leave them an inheritance. But I want to tell you, listen to me. You can never give to your children or your grandchildren a greater legacy than to, for them to know that they must cling to the old rugged cross. God bless you. That old rugged cross that is so despised by the world has wonders attraction to me. Cherish those words. Of the, we're going to sing them in a moment, but, but just think and reflect on those words. For the dear Lamb of God left His glory above to bear it to dark Calvary, to the old rugged cross. I will, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Then He will call me someday to my home far away when His glory forever I'll share. We must remind the next generation, and we must pass the torch to the next generation to cling to the old rugged cross. Can I get an amen? amen. Regardless of who denies it, regardless of who ignores it, regardless of who despises it, regardless of who wants to remove it from the public eye. But we need to teach them. But we need to set the example that the cross is our only hope for eternal life, that the cross is our only peace in troubled times, that the cross is our only comfort and assurance in times of trouble and doubt. Would you pray with me? Father, all I'm asking for as I pray 
on behalf and together with my brothers and sisters is for you to grant to us that we have what we have heard with our outward ear will seek seep deep down into our hearts and our minds and be imprinted and transform our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Thank you for being part of our worship today. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us and tell us about what God is doing in your life. If you are in the Atlanta area, we hope that you can visit us in person. I'd love to shake your hands. May God bless you today and throughout the week.